1: Your daily Cincinnati Bengals Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
2: What up Bengals fans and welcome to a very special episode of the Locked On Bengals Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisco, along with your host James Rapine. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. James, I've been teasing this special guest all week. I didn't even offer an opportunity for people to tweet at us and guess at who it was because I didn't want to give anything away. But today for the listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast, and you're going to know this because you've read the episode by the time you hear me say it, we've got Brian Callahan. And for our listeners, this was a long conversation with offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. So we had to cut it up. We're going to hear it over the course of three episodes today, tomorrow, and early next week. So stay tuned for that. But without further ado, let's get into it. Brian, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. We're very excited for this opportunity, but like I told you when I was outlining some of the things that we wanted to talk about, wanted to start with getting to know you a little bit better because as an offensive coordinator, you're not in front of the media very much. You're not interfacing with fans a ton. And obviously you come from a very notable NFL coaching bloodline with your dad coaching in Cleveland. What was it like for you growing up with that coach in your house did that kind of put you on the path to coaching did you take away philosophical lessons did they just kind of get inceptioned into your brain as a kid or how did that happen probably a little bit
0: of all of it um yeah, it was it was it was fun uh, growing up as a coach's kid and I, you know especially if you like football and if you don't like football it might be a little bit more difficult or you know maybe my sisters didn't enjoy it as much as I did because uh, the best thing that I got to do is I got to go to work with my dad all the time from the time I was about 10 years old and running around. Uh, my dad would take me to work when he was at University of Wisconsin and he'd take me and my brother and we'd, he just kind of let us loose in the indoor facility there. And we'd go play on the bags and run around the field and play in the weight room. And we we're just kind of always around. Uh, and that was fun. And it was, you know, as I got older, I used to go, I would go by myself. I'd drive to OTAs and mini camps and I'd work a training camp in the equipment room. And I was just always around. And uh, that part of it was, was how I spent time with my dad. So you know, some people go fishing or hunting or whatever. That's, I went and hung out at the football office with my dad. So um, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I, I mean, I love being around practices, uh, around the locker room, around players. Um, it, was a, it was a really fun way to grow up if you like being around sports.
3: Is there a signature story about a, one of the, the players your dad coached that you were around, maybe a legend or someone that stands out that uh, maybe took your breath away, you were starstruck at, at any moment or anything like that?
0: Um, probably early, early when I was young, was the first time my dad got to the NFL, he went to the Eagles in 1995 and, um, the quarterback for the Eagles at the time was Randall Cunningham. And so that was a big deal to me. And, and Randall took a liking to me as a 10 year old, you know, I was pretty harmless at that point in my life. And so, uh, he was really nice to me and, and he actually gave me a, you know, one of those like little glass, like porcelain figurines at one point, uh, just as a gift and, he'd always talk to me when I was around and, um, I still actually have the porcelain figure in Randall Cunningham. That's kind of my first memories of, of being around, you know, NFL type players. Um, and he was, he was obviously one of the, you know, one of the, one of the greats. So, uh, that was really cool as a, as a young, as a, as a young impressionable kid. That was, that was fun. Um, you know, Jerry Rice was one that came to Oakland when I was in high school and my dad was at the Raiders, um, just to kind of see Jerry Rice in person was, was pretty neat. Um, i think of some other guys that, that kind of, you know, Ty Detmer was kind of a hero of mine at one point. He was at the Eagles, you know, this is a ways back now, but, you know, he's kind of a smaller smaller quarterback. It's kind of what I was, so I kind of identified with him and I always kind of made my way towards the quarterbacks even when I was a kid, so.
2: So it sounds like, you know, you ended up in the right place with, with coaching. It, it maybe was destined from childhood, maybe not, but I, I know that, uh, you, I'm going to rephrase that. Uh, every, everybody that that's in football has interests outside of football too. This is something that I've talked about with really every player or coach that I've talked to this come on the program in the past. What are some of the things outside of football? I know it's, it's deep in your blood, but what else do you do for fun? What else do you enjoy? I know there's probably like, everybody likes music, right? What, what is it for you?
0: Well, I, I, the one thing we've we've done a lot of these days, my wife and I, when once we get the kids to bed, I, two two little kids take up a lot of my time these days when I'm when I'm free. But I'm um, catching up on a lot of shows. I, I'm not. I didn't used to be a big TV watcher, but I've kind of gotten into some of these some of these series that are on um, Peaky Blinders. I just finished that. Um, those are. I just we watch a lot of the kind of random shows that that pop up on Netflix. Um, it's fun. That's kind of what we do and that's how we kind of relax a little bit. Um, as far as other things, I, I listen to all different types of music. I used to love going to shows uh, when we could do those types of things um, of all of all different types of, of artists. Um, my wife is a big uh, kind of a fish fan and so she took me to a fish show one time. Uh, that was a blast. I'd never been to one of those before. Um, not really my, my cup of tea probably growing up, but uh, she kind of introduced me to it. So I just I like being live music and and, and watching watching shows of my wife stuff like that. I don't I don't have a whole lot of other crazy things outside of the kids at this point in my life. Um, I used to read a lot, but that gets a little harder with, with two little kids.
3: What's what's your favorite book?
0: Ooh, let me see. I would say I like to read a lot of uh, I like to I read a lot of um, kind of leadership type books, and um, the one that I really enjoyed recently was I read the book by Tim Grover, Relentless,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, where it talks, you know, he, Tim Grover was Michael Jordan's trainer and he worked with uh, Dwayne Wade and Kobe. And, and I, I like listening to those kind of guys talk about performance and, and things like that. So that was a really good one. I enjoyed that. Um, you know, it just talks about the levels of, of uh, you know, levels of competitor that you see throughout sports. It was, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. I read a bunch of Tim Ferriss's stuff. I like some of the things that he does. I listen to his podcast on occasion. Um, uh, as far as I'm trying to give a uh, kind of a non-professional development book, but I can't think <laughs> of one off the top of my head right now. Got me on the spot there. No, you're good.
3: R- Relentless is a yeah. That's a good one. Tim Grover is a, yeah. he's a legend in the training
0: game. So I, I got gotcha. you.
2: What about you? You mentioned podcasts. You you a podcast guy? Is that something Uh, that you have time for?
0: Not particularly occasionally. I, you know, I I usually have my music on most of the day and I'm at work at the office during the season. And so, you know, kind of keeps your mind going at night. So I usually tend to lean towards music more than I do podcasts, you know, especially when I'm, when I'm working. Um, but I do listen to, I listen to a bunch of the Tim Ferriss stuff. Um, I listen occasionally, I listen to the GM podcast that Mike Lombardi does. Um, Every now and again, I don't know why I wouldn't say I listen to it regularly. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll peek it. I'll listen to, to to Paul and Jay do their their podcast occasionally. Uh, I'll listen to you guys occasionally. Um, so it's not something that I do. I don't. I don't have time to sit and listen to podcast. You know, some of those long form podcasts I go for an hour. I generally don't do those. I try to find stuff that's a little bit more quick hitting, um, and then just kind of more football related stuff than than anything else.
3: We'll get back to our interview with Brian Callahan in just a second. But I got to tell you about bet online because it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, yeah, the regular season, that doesn't mean you can't bet on the NFL draft there are draft props. If you're not into that, that's all right. You can bet on the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online also covers awards, TV shows and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered. Go there right now. BetOnline.ag. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So go there again right now. BetOnline.ag. Promo code LOCKEDON and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline
4: and free dessert for life, homechef.com slash locked on, must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
3: It's cool that you're into like the the motivational stuff and and mm-hmm. books like that. And I, I could totally relate to that. When when you look at your your career, do you think since you were around Randall Cunningham at 10 years old and your dad was in has been in the coaching industry, how big of an edge has that given you? Do you think that's given you an advantage as you continue to
0: to grow and thrive in, in the NFL? Uh, yeah, it, it does. I mean, it'd be hard, it'd be hard pressed to say that, that being around it your whole life uh, doesn't give you an advantage. Uh, it certainly gave me an advantage, probably more early on um, than anything else, you know, just getting started out. Uh, now, you know, the one thing I think that, that gets tossed around a bunch and it's understandable, but, you know, you see a lot of coaches' kids coaching um, and, you know, the whole nepotism thing gets tossed around. And I, I think that it's just kind of like any anything that you spend a lot of time around, you, you tend to gravitate towards it. And I spent a lot of time around football and, and I played it and I enjoyed it and I, and I wanted to keep doing it. And so it allowed me to uh, kind of have a, a, opportunity to, to see and learn it at a, at a rate that was, you know, way ahead of what the average person would, that was trying to get into coaching. And it's certainly an advantage. And um, you know, I used it to my advantage early on. I, I banked all those experiences and all the things that helped me uh, accumulate the knowledge to, to get started. And, you know, once you, once you get into a job, you, you earn your way through that, you know, whatever the job is, whether it's coaching in high school, which I did, or coaching in college as a graduate assistant or coaching NFL as a quality control, you know, you start your career out and, and you get a chance to uh, earn your stripes that way. But uh, definitely those experiences helped me a ton, uh, especially learning how to handle myself, you know, in the profession, how to how to know what's coming. Um, sometimes it's a surprise if, if you, you know, you haven't moved your whole life and every three years you're in a new place and a new school uh, gets a little bit more, uh, it's probably a little bit harder adjustment if you weren't really sure what you're getting into. So uh, yeah, it was definitely a, a huge advantage all the way around for me, uh, again, particularly early in my career.
2: And you've obviously worked with a lot of really high profile coaches around the league. You, you've worked with Peyton Manning in Denver. Yep. Given those experiences and, and coming in now, I mean, you've got some major coaching tree influences in your background coming through the nfl what were some of those biggest influences both schematically and then in terms of just you know interpersonal stuff stylistically as a coach who were some of those big big influencers and the takeaways you had
0: i've been really fortunate to be around some excellent coaches uh both schematically and uh kind of as leaders and, and and um philosophers of football in that regard um you know, the first – I think, obviously, my dad would be the first and foremost, uh, kind of goes without saying. He's been – probably there's probably been nobody more more influential on me uh, in my career than him. Um, but the, the guys that I've really taken a lot from be the first one um, is Bob Lattiser, who was my head coach in high school. Uh, he's the head coach at Salle High School in Concord, California, and uh, he, his, his history is well documented. He's one of the winningest high school football coaches in or winning as coaches, period, uh, in sports. And that was a really kind of formative time for me when I started to realize I might enjoy coaching as much as I enjoyed playing. Um, just the philosophy of, of doing things, you know, kind of nose to the grindstone, hard work, a um, commitment, a real commitment to the work, um, and how to be a teammate and, and how to build a team. And, and he took a bunch of high school kids every year, and his sustained success over his career is, is incredible. Um, I look back on it now as a coach, and I, I'm – actually more in awe of it now than I was uh, then, because as a coach, you go, how in the world did you sustain that for so long with new kids every couple of years, you know? Um, And and he's, he was a huge influence. uh, And I still refer to a lot of the things that that I learned then. Uh, Oddly enough, the the core principles of of building a good team generally tends to be the same at all levels. And uh, it was, you know, Bob Lattester was definitely one of my, my biggest early influences in coaching. Um, Josh McDaniels hired me in Denver, he my first job in the NFL. And so I actually started my NFL career kind of in that Patriot way, um, upbringing, and it was hard. And there was a lot of nights where I slept on my floor in my office um, and, and Josh was demanding, but boy, I'd say I learned more football in that first year in the NFL. I, I can't think of a better way really to start my career as hard as it was um, than, than learning from that. And, and I really took a lot from Josh on how to prepare how to, how to set up the offense, um, how to, how to get things the way you want them to be done. And um, th- that was a really formative, you know, here, I was young, I was impressionable, I was moldable and, uh, and Josh, you know, I thought molded, molded me really well to start out early in my career. And that was a, that was a huge influence, particularly offensively, uh, just for the, the detail and the approach uh, and how, how they go about their work in that system. And, and I was really, really fortunate to be able to uh, participate in that for, for a year. I wish it was longer. Uh, obviously didn't go, uh, go as great. That first, that was, I got there, Josh's second year in 2010, he got fired uh, with about four games left. So, um, those are two of my early ones. Uh, obviously I got a chance to be around John Gruden as a high school kid. So I used to sit in John Gruden's meetings, um, as a high school player and listen to him teach the quarterbacks. And I got to hang around Rich Gannon, uh, in those years in Oakland. And, and that was really, really fun for me. That was like my first introduction, um, to the to that West Coast offense that they ran there um, that I would gotten to see, you know, got to sit in the install meetings and listen and learn, and that was the first exposure to it that I had had. And so a lot of those things that, that I believe in and, and still believe in to this day. And got a chance to go work for John Oakland for a year, which was really fun I had to kind of full circle it, come back, actually work for him uh, and learn from all the things that he learned over his, you know, the the whatever it was, almost 20 years worth of broadcasting and coaching since I was, since I was around him, Um, you know, and had a chance to, um, you know, be around Gary Kubiak in Denver, John Fox. Those guys were all really, really, you know, Kubiak was one of my favorite head coaches I've been around. I've been around Jim Caldwell for two years in Detroit. He was outstanding. Um, And I mean, I, I could go on and on. I could go on for a long time if you guys wanted to, but, uh, Eric Studisville, Adam Gase, and Mike McCoy were kind of the three guys that were like the, I really like the core of the guys that raised me that weren't head coaches. You know, Mike was offensive coordinator in Denver. Uh, I spent, you know, a lot of time with Mike. He, he was very instrumental, invested a lot of time in me. Um, the same thing with, with Eric Studisville, who's now in Miami. Um, Eric actually let me coach the running backs my first year in Denver. Uh, when Josh was was let go, I took over his room as running backs coach my first year in the league, and that was eye opening. Uh, to say the least, um, but he he trusted me and I worked with him that whole year and and uh, he's he's still one of my kind of closest confidants and mentors to this day. And then obviously Adam Gase, I was with Adam for five years uh, in Denver and and we did a lot of really great things on offense uh, those years we were there. And, and that was uh, those are the kind of the three non head coaches that I worked for that that really kind of raised me in this profession as a as an offensive coach.
3: I'm sure we're going to ask about that Denver experience and in uh, Peyton Manning and all of that. But as a, as a coach, you just named all these people that have believed in you over the past 20 years. Yep. I, I think in, in society in general, we focus on the negative a lot or the haters or however you want sure. it, to, it, is it motivating to, to want to deliver and be successful for all those people that have believed in you when you were sleeping on, the, the office floor with Josh McDaniels in 2010 on that bad season or yeah. j- just throughout your career. Do you want to prove those people, right?
0: Yeah, I think that that's, that's really more what I'm interested in anyway. Most of the time when, when, you know, everyone's always gets, you get kind of caught up in proving people are wrong and uh, that's fine. Some people get motivated that way. That's normal. Um, I think we all have that edge a little bit where you want to, you want to show somebody that, that their, their, their opinion negatively view was, was incorrect? Um, but I do think you have a good point, James, that, you know, I've had a lot of people do a lot of really positive things for me across my career. And, and I do think the, the way to approach that is, I'm trying to make sure that their investment was the right one and improve it, improve their interest in me and their development in me uh, was right. And then I work to do that. I work on the positive end of that. I want to, I want to make those people um, that, that saw something in me at some point in my career, make them proud, uh, make them believe that, that, see what they believed in come to fruition, you know? Um, So I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I'd I'd certainly uh, try to prove those people that that gave their time and energy into making me better uh, to prove that their, their, their actions were warranted and and correct. Um, So it's a good way to put it.
3: We'll get back to Brian Callahan, but it's time to take a second for a built bar break. I eat a built bar each and every day. It's the number one protein bar on the planet, 18 amazing flavors and the best part, it isn't their amazing taste or that they're covered in 100% chocolate. It's that they're macro-friendly. You're working on that 2021 summer bod. <laughs> so am I. We're in the same boat. So you need to have high-protein, low-sugar. Built Bar does that. It's the perfect post-workout snack, midday snack. Doesn't matter. Go there now. BuiltBar.com. Check out all they have to offer, all 18 flavors, And make sure you use promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
2: Let's switch gears, talk a little bit about some specific stuff in Cincinnati. Some, some, still some philosophical questions for sure. But let's get started with the question that I think a lot of Bengals fans are wondering there's this idea of what an offensive coordinator does in the NFL. And a lot of that is focused on calling the plays. There are obviously offensive coordinators around the league that don't call the plays and you're one of them. What would you say are are some of the big differences or, or different responsibilities that you have versus the, the typical conception of what an offensive coordinator does? You know,
0: I would say that ultimately I probably don't function uh, over the course of a week, all that, much different than any coordinator that calls the place. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, every kind of – every staff – and everybody's got their little ways of doing it. But for the most part, uh, most staffs are – you kind of have a division of labor in the sense that, uh, for example, Dan Pitcher uh, is kind of the, the lead man on third down. So what he does is he goes through that week. He studies all the tendencies. That's his main focus as the game plan gets put together. He's spending his time uh, getting the third down part ready to present to Zach and myself and then as we catch up through the week, uh, I catch up on, I get to the base down stuff and I get to third down and pitch and I get together. He presents to me his thoughts and ideas. Um, and then I'll, I'll have watched it all by that point as well. And then I have my thoughts and ideas. We kind of combine the list together, get it all ironed out, usually have more than we would ever need for a game plan. Uh, and then we get with Zach and we say, all right, here's, here's what we think. Here's what we like these things. Uh, and, we, and we kind of pare it down to what our normal game plan uh, carriage would be for that week. So then, you know, usually, for just an example, uh, third and two to five, we probably have anywhere from uh, usually no less than six, no more than eight calls in that spot. Um, again, because you got to practice it and rep it, and, and you try not to have too many new things. You try to have wrinkles and, and mismatches and try to find uh, ways to take advantage of whatever defense is presented. But ultimately, you try to keep it the things that you guys still – guys can know and execute and play fast with. Um, but that's kind of how that works, and that goes through all, all the – different ways that that game plan gets put together. You know, Frank would do the run game. He would have everything. Here's my run game plan. All right, well, Zach and I will sit there with Frank, go through it. Well, here's a couple of play action passes we like. Let's make sure those match up with uh, these these run game formations. Let's make sure, uh, hey, look, Zach has a couple ideas he wants to get in. Let's put those in. Um, and really, my job is to facilitate all of those things uh, whenever Zach isn't available. So he's got a lot of things he has to do during the course of a day that don't involve coaching the offense. And so... My job is to, is to keep pressing things forward, keep getting the game plan set. Uh, he catches up when he gets time, and we end up, you know, by the end of the week having a, a really good concrete plan. And I think that that's really what most teams do these days. Everybody has their areas that they're in charge of. Everything comes together on the days that they come together when we get ready to install it for the next day's practice in the game plan. Um, and, and then it just, it's, it's very collaborative, I guess, is the best way to put it, um, the short way to put it, is that everybody works together to get the plan uh, in place. And then when it comes to game day, uh, it's really, you know, we everything kind of gets ordered on the sheet. The quarterback has a huge input in how that goes. So Saturday we meet with Joe, uh, me, Zach, and pitch, and really they all and the kind of quarterbacks. We all go through the plan and then Joe kind of tells us, hey, uh, you know, over the course of the week of practice, I really like uh, this order. I like this play first, this play second. And generally um, those plays tend to come off the sheet uh, during the course of a game in a manner that the quarterback wants them to come off the sheet uh, after we have discussions about all the things that that we think we're going to get and how we're going to attack it. Ultimately that part doesn't really change much. Jake, when you get all the way through the the week, uh, my job as a coordinator is pretty much the same as anybody, any other coordinator that's calling the plays uh, really up until game day. And, you know, Zach and I see football very similarly. Uh, We have a great working relationship. I love working with Zach. I love the way we can communicate about the way we're doing things um, we don't always agree on everything, and that's that's good. That's okay. And and we, we once we make our final opinion and on how we're going to do it, that's what it is, and we move forward. And you know, during a game, it's it's kind of a constant flow. Zach, will, if he's feeling it, he'll start ripping them off, and it's no big deal. Sometimes he'll say, "Hey, what do we get to next? Uh, what do you like next?" I'll give him two or three things I like. You know, Frank Itani gives him two or three things he likes in the run game. So there's just kind of this constant collaborative communication uh, on how those things actually you know, the, the play comes out of his mouth, but there's a lot of people involved in the process uh, of, of getting it to that point. Um, so I think, you know, there is a, there is an art to play calling. I, I do think there's, there is really good play callers in this league guys. that have a great feel. Um, I thought Gary Kubiak was one of the best play callers I'd seen, uh, just in terms of just being able to on the move, adjust and depth like he's been doing it for so long. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if that totally answers the, the question there, Jake, but, um, you know, I would say for the most part, I don't function all that differently as, as a, you know, by title as a coordinator stays as that until really game day when the plays come out as Zach's pound.
3: Take me back to those, those Denver days. <laughs> and, sure. and you, you meet with Peyton Manning the day before the game or, or a couple of days before the game, as you meet with the, the quarterbacks, is that any different that meeting with a guy like Peyton at that stage of his career versus how it was meeting with Joe and the rest of the quarterbacks in 2020 before <laughs> a game?
0: You know, not, not entirely. Uh, Peyton might have had a few more things that he wanted to make sure were, were squared away before the game. And that, that being more um, just his, his personality. You know, he was always thinking about things. So he might have had a list of five or six thoughts uh, that, that kind of popped into his head on Friday night when he was at home. Uh, he wanted to talk further about it or, or during the day on Saturday. Um, but really for the most part, no. I mean, you get to Saturday night, I mean, you, you feel pretty good about what, what plan you put together. Uh, how things sit on the call sheet. You know, it may be a, a tweak here or there. Hey, wait, let's, I was watching this. You know, you catch up. What ends up happening is you catch up later in the week on tape too. So, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday are kind of a, a cram and a rush uh, just to get it all done. You know, it's just a lot of time on task. And so usually like Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, you have a chance to kind of catch up, maybe what get even more tape. And now you got the plan in your head as you're watching the tape. You've practiced it. You've seen it on, on the practice field. And now you have this vision of what you're going to go do that week. And sometimes you get some clarity as the week goes on. And, you know, and sometimes there's these these Saturday uh, thoughts that you have. Um, sometimes you try not to do too much on Saturday because you can't practice. But, uh, you know, he, he might put a play on a Saturday because he, he saw something on tape that he hadn't seen during the week. And we put it in, you know, and we just make sure everybody was on the same page. And, and that was that. But as far as the quarterback doing anything different, you know, Joe was great on those Saturday nights. He had a really good feel for how he wanted to um, – you know how he wanted the game to play out, and how he wanted the calls to come in, and um, you know he did a great job being very clear and, and very concise about what he expected and how he how he saw the game playing. So it was good.
2: That makes a lot of sense when you start to see how hard it is for certain adjustments to happen in season. Sometimes it takes the bye week. We saw that in 2019, where there was a big overhaul to the run game that that Zach talked about later in 2020. We saw you guys come out in more empty and more 11 personnel than anyone else in the league. But there was a bit of a shift over the course of the season to a little bit less empty, a shift away from 11 personnel a little bit. And that's even after you lose a guy like CJ Uzoma to that Achilles injury. So what, what led to that shift in, it's, it's a small shift, but I think a noticeable shift kind of away from 11 personnel a little bit away from empty over the course of the year.
0: Uh, I think a, a, the big, a big factor there was obviously Joe uh, Burrow. You know, when, we look at, when you look at when, when some of that happened, probably was after, after he went down. Um, but we, we always wanted to be able to do, uh, you know, some 12 and some 13. Um, you know, you, ideally you don't want to throw the ball, you know, all the time. There, there is a time and a place for, for the run game and the marriage and the play-action game and the screen game. So, um, you know, we tried to do a little more of that. Uh, we tried to be conscious of of holding the ball. You know, we didn't want to hold the ball a lot. Uh, So some of that stuff, um, you know, the empty tends to get the ball out pretty quick, but uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's certain schemes you play against that aren't as good uh, when you start looking at empty Uh, certain rushers that make it a little harder because you can't help anybody if you needed to. Um, And there's, there really is a a lot of good offense there when you start talking about um, 12 personnel and being under center and, um, and being in 13, there, there's some good stuff out there that can, that can really help you um, move the ball down the field. And, you know, we, part of that was we were trying to find things that we could, you know, we could keep uh, for, for Brandon that he was comfortable with. He had done in Los Angeles a little bit too, and over the course of his career, uh, he kind of ran a pro style at, all, at Arkansas. Um, and so that that some of that stuff is probably in that range uh, when you're talking about those those shifts. But Know, if you're if you're a really good offense and you can do a couple of different things and, and give the defense problems, which is one of the things that I thought that, that uh, John Gruden has done so well over his you know career is that you, know, you give people a bunch of different looks and, and ultimately you're doing a lot of the same things, but you're doing it from different personnel groupings. Um, you do having different guys run the routes. you're getting different defensive structures based on your personnel substitutions. And so um, there is there is a part of that that uh, that helps you on offense kind of be a little bit more diverse. Uh, ultimately, I think our, our, we felt like once, especially when CJ went down, you know, our best grouping uh, going into the season was our three receivers that we had uh, with, with Drew and, and Seaton kind of being supplementary tight ends in, that's in those packages. And um, we felt like that was the best way for us to move the ball. But um, there's a lot of ways to move the ball in the NFL. And, and, you know, we keep kind of probing different ways to keep helping our offense.